There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. ES Audio. Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio. Well, it was a world record-breaking weekend at Twickenham Stadium as the Red Roses lifted the Six Nations Trophy and the European Champions Cup delivered another weekend of semi-final action with emphatic wins for Leinster and La Rochelle. With me to chat through all the action is Sarah Elgin. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Lol. And Steve Cording from the Evening Standard. Hello, Steve. Hi, Lawrence. Hi, Sarah. So how are you both, Lawrence? You're bringing international flavour to the podcast this week. We should be going, bonjour, Lawrence. Did bonjour, you... bonsoir. French I French am... then as well, didn't I? I am. You did sound very Thanks. French. Thanks. I am in uh, Bordeaux. It's, you sound uh... very Welsh when you say that. <laughs> Mange too. Bon et la douce. Bon et la douche. <laughs> uh, do you know what? It was a fantastic weekend here in Bordeaux. I mean, I don't think anyone was left in La Rochelle. Um, it's two hours away, and there was, what, 55,000, of which maybe 500 were extra fans. Great occasion. Reminded me of the semi-final I played in Lansdowne Road, where I walked out and there was 55,000 Munster fans. It was, I mean, they are <laughs> just the most tribal group of fans you've ever seen. And great for rugby. One of the great weekends, I think. Really, really enjoyed it. And obviously, whilst the rest of my uh, television crew decided to go home, I thought I'd better stay around and enjoy the spoils of Bordeaux, as it will be a World Cup venue in a few months' time. In true Lawrence Delalio form, he stays on when everyone else has gone home. Yeah, they, they... Uh, you know what, Sarah, Sarah, my flight was cancelled. What can you do? Oh, my flight was cancelled. Let's, let's blame the airline. And if I'm honest with you, I don't do Stansted, all right? So uh, I'm... Uh... <laughs> Uh, the wine tasting looks particularly good last night. Wasn't it was uh, very enjoyable. Listen, you know, wherever you go in, in the world, the best piece of advice find a Felix Leiter. You know, the James Bond movie? You need someone who could just smooth your passage through any city, any town, any port you arrive in. And I found just that person who helped oh, look after yeah. me. And I managed to lead, lead a few people astray as well. Well, I'm sure you did. All for World Cup recce purposes, of course, Lawrence. And Steve, of course. Um, of course. <laughs> and Steve, I spotted on your Instagram, you've been like hanging out outside the gates of Buckingham Palace. Yeah, I was stalking the king. That invitation for uh, next week's not in the post. But uh, no, we thought we'd, uh, we'd take the kids down just to have a look around because it's uh, going to be a pretty historic uh, weekend coming up. And uh, they'd never actually been down. I'd actually never been that close and looked through you know? the gates before ever before no so it was all a new experience and they, they thoroughly enjoyed it so yeah it was good but uh, what about you you're obviously preparing there for a birthday party well it, yes it? it's our son's birthday today 14 today so um we were blowing up helium balloons at five to one this morning yeah and decorating a little bit <laughs> not inhaling them blowing them up yeah <laughs> blowing them up yes yeah, yeah, it's yeah. pretty though isn't it 
Yeah, what's that? happy? Yeah. I'm trying to work. Oh, that Pebbly Happis. It, like, it's, it's like, how, oh, is that? Yeah, Pebbly Happis. So I had to look at we've, we've had this since he was about six, <laughs> this particular banner. So I couldn't remember if he said Happy oh. Birthday, Pebbly Happis. But basically, Pebbly Happis is like is Happy Birthday in Welsh. Is that Happy Birthday in Welsh or Happy Birthday after you've had a few glasses of wine? I mean, what's <laughs> No, it's Happy and Birthday in Welsh, Lawrence. Yes. <laughs> Anyway, okay. let's talk about rugby, shall we? <laughs> and I guess today just celebrated winning a 6-6 Nations title, five of which have been Grand Slams, adding to an incredible total of, wait for it, 77 wins in the 86 Test matches. He's overseen as head coach of England's Red Roses. He's just stepped down from the role he's held since 2015. It's Simon Middleton. Hi, Simon. How are you? I'm good, Sarah. Thank you very much. Good. The big question is, before we get on to all the rugby stuff, what have you been doing since Saturday? I presume, firstly, there have been some celebrations, and secondly, I presume there's a hangover in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much sums it up. Yeah, we had uh, <laughs> the family came down to London, so it was great. We managed to uh, celebrate after the game with them, which was pretty special. And then all the team went back to a local pub just near the Lensby where we were staying, and we had a good party there. And then came back up yesterday, and then I just went went out again with a couple of close friends yesterday. I just had a quiet drink yesterday afternoon, so yeah, recovering this morning. Nice. Brilliant. Simon, listen, it's it's absolutely brilliant to have you on the show. Sarah's just said there, what you've achieved as head coach of the Red Roses is phenomenal. She mentioned the Six Nations titles, but obviously you've led the women's team to two World Cups. And obviously you had that incredible 30-match winning run as well, run up to that World Cup final in New Zealand. It's pretty clear from all the tributes that have come in over the past few days, weeks, etc., what you and your group of coaches have contributed to the, to the success of the women's game. But um, I guess... From our perspective and for our listeners, it's just wanting to understand why have you decided to step down now with all of that growth and success still obviously there? And have you had a chance, and I guess you haven't really, but have you had a chance to sort of reflect on what you've achieved, which is pretty phenomenal? Appreciate that, Paul. To be honest, I think if one of them were, I just got to the point, particularly when we came back from the World Cup, I reflected on you know not getting on our hands on the trophy twice. And I just thought, with what was coming up with a home World Cup, was it time for somebody else to sort of try and take the game on a little bit further than I've, I've been able to in terms of, you know, the World Cup? And I wanted to give myself a bit of time to reflect on it, obviously. And what I did find was that, I usually get pretty motivated again quite quickly and I was struggling for motivation a little bit, to be honest. And that sort of told me everything that I needed. And I think it was a case of the Roses needed a new voice, I thought, and, and somebody else at the helm. And I needed a new challenge. And it was pretty much as simple as that, to be honest. You know, I thought it, thought it through, talked it through with, with the family and everything. And yeah, I just decided, you know, that you, you should never be afraid of change. And I think it was time for a change for us all. And, you know, and, I, and, and to be honest, it comes to a point where you, you know, you've got to make a decision and you know, for for the good of everybody and everything. And, and I made it. And as soon as I made it, I felt far better for it, which told me that it was the right decision. You've coached, obviously, in the men's game before, but you've been with the women now for the best part of nine years. I mean, what are the main differences, would you say, between coaching men and women? And what is it that motivated you to stay for so long with the women for that period of time? To be honest, coaching England wasn't about coaching the, the men or the women. If you get an opportunity to coach for your country, same as you do play for your country, you, you take it because you may never come in again. And it also gave me a, an opportunity to work within. You know, I'd worked in good environments, but tough environments. I'd, I'd spent a lot of time at Leeds, which is a really tough environment and I thought well if I go into this environment I could see the potential in it and how you could shape it hopefully so initially it was very much just an opportunity to, to coach England but once you get in and you start to work with the players and you start to know the characters that are in there that's why I stayed so long because I absolutely loved doing it I loved working with the girls day in day out 
I love working with the staff. The people at the RFU are fantastic. You know, they, they come in for some armor to the RFU, but they've got some good people working for them. You know, and they do some unbelievable stuff. And uh, the things that I learned as I sort of went through the course was, it's about communication, I think. The biggest difference is communication and getting to understand the needs of female players and female athletes, stuff like you, you, you learn about as you go along as opposed to male, and just how you can fill female players with confidence as opposed to how you would do it in the male environment. And what I found is how you get the best out of the players is very much about your messaging with them, understanding them, them understanding you and working with them, being in a real partnership with them as opposed to just being a coach who gives instructions and hopes everybody follows. Well, you definitely got the best out of, out of your England squad, that's for sure, because we saw that kind of record-breaking crowd at Twickenham on Saturday. I had serious FOMO. I was at the Scarlet, so I, I couldn't be there, but I was seeing the pictures. I was watching it on telly. Just kind of give us an idea, Simon, of what Saturday was like for you and the players seeing that. Not lifting the title now, because I'm sure that was incredible, but just seeing that and experiencing that at the home of English rugby. To be honest, that was above winning the title. It was after anything. It, it was so incredible. And it started so early for us when we took the wrong turning out of the Lensbury and, <laughs> went, uh, and, went, and went through the middle of Twickenham. Easily which, done. Which was absolutely. Well, the bus driver was like following the route that he'd taken us to the stadium the day before. And the team manager, I was sat with Harriet, the team manager, and after about five minutes, she says, excuse me, which way are you taking us here? And he was like, well, same way as we went yesterday. And she's like, no, no, you can't do that too late we're in the middle of Twickenham and everybody came out and there was thousands of fans and they all came streaming out of the patch and they were lining the roads and you know, past the station and everything and it, to be honest it was one of those where, nah, maybe things happen for a reason because the players needed to see that because they've never seen that before and when we got to the stadium the fans you know thousands of fans and it was just absolutely incredible and getting off the bus and walking through the fans and you've seen the guys do it a hundred times and for the girls to experience that was just incredible and then the, you, know, you get in the stadium and it, you're warming up and, and the crowd's filling up and the atmosphere and the atmosphere is so different uh, at a woman's international than it is at man's international you know the energy in the stadium was incredible the game goes and you know it, it took us 15 minutes to get out of our 22 but when we did <laughs> it's unbelievable break by Eleanor Rowland and then obviously Abby Dow scores a worldie and the crowd are going absolutely mad and from then on, the, the whole atmosphere was just fantastic. And, and you know, you saw a testimony at the end as well when it all finished. Like nobody left the stadium until the players had got the trophy and you know, nobody was going back into the corporate or stuff like that or leaving to catch a train. It was just everything you hoped that the game could get to. Did maybe. you shed a few tears? Because like, we know you're emotional. That, that, that press conference <laughs> with Sarah Hunter was beautiful, by the way. I love that. But like, did you shed a few tears? Uh, I'll be honest. I've, I've, I've done a few in private. Okay. No, no, <laughs> yeah, and I'm going back down to Wickham tomorrow, and I'm going to catch up with people and say a few goodbyes. And I, I think, I think there might be a few this week. Well, I think Simon, as you know, the the way that that game finished is probably you know testament to everything that you and your staff have achieved. A lot of us here believe that that should have happened a long time ago. We should have been able to fill Twickenham a lot earlier. And obviously, it's happened now. <laughs> it would have been a bit of an anti-climax if the French had gone on and scored the winning try, wouldn't it? And, and oh, uh, I'm, I'm not sure we'd be talking about you stepping down because <laughs> you can't lose your last game in charge, that's for sure. Um, what was it, 33-0 at half-time? Yeah. And, and I've been in games like that where the referee suddenly, the momentum shifts, they think, oh, I've got to, got to even it up a tiny bit, even though they're not thinking that, that's what happens. 
And then suddenly, France are like scoring for fun. What were you thinking in the last few minutes? Well, I was thinking, what a half-time team talk that must have been. <laughs> to, inspi- to inspire them like I did. <laughs> no, we, we, to be honest, you, you're spot on. It, it's, it's that bit. You can't lose momentum in a game against a good side. And that's mm. the, the whole essence of not taking your, your foot off the throat because that's what happens. And by the way, Amy, who ref the game, is the best ref in the world, women's race. She was yeah. absolutely brilliant on the day. But France just, you know, they got the momentum. We got nervous. We stopped going forward in defence. We started sliding off tackles. We let them pressure us. And they've got unbelievable players who are going to hurt you if you do that. And I said to Deeks, just before the second half kicked off, we're like, right, we need to make sure we score next because we don't want a momentum shift. They score immediately or almost immediately. And then we sort of get one back and you sort of feel a little bit confident. But then they got on that roll and with about five minutes to go, I said, they're going to score again here. We have got to defend as hard as we can for a couple of minutes to make sure there's no time to restart the game. Because if they restart the game, anything could happen. Sure enough, they scored again, but time ran out. And to be honest, for the good of the game, I mean, the whole game, wider game, as painful as it was to watch and as anxious as we were watching it, it was more of a true reflection of what the game was about because France dominated a lot of that game. You know, if we'd have gone on and won 40 odd points to 10 or something like that, A, it wouldn't have been a fair reflection and B, it wouldn't have done the game any good. So I thought, you know, it was a brilliant advertisement for what certainly what England-France games have been about for the last sort of two or three years. And the women's game is going from strength to strength, of course, and there is always room for more investment. I'm just wondering, are there any like changes you'd like to see made either I suppose in, in the laws of the game because there is chat isn't there about like distance for kick and conversion etc at the moment or maybe how the game is played and promoted in order to attract an even bigger audience there's always chat isn't there yeah absolutely it's funny one of the, the goal kicking thing I was yeah. <laughs> I got asked about that it just got me thinking because I've been absolutely interrogated about goal kicking for the last five six years in particular <laughs> so say Skaz misses 10 in one game in the World Cup in 2017, and they're asking the same questions. Everyone from the touchline until she scored under the sticks herself to make things easy. And then I'm getting asked the same questions again in 2022. And then I'm getting asked the same questions in the Six Nations. Like, well, something's not quite right, is it? So you make a suggestion, don't you? Put the cat cat monster pigeons. To be honest, I think in terms of moving the game forward now, it's it's it, it doesn't I think it's in a really good place in terms of the laws of the game and how it's played and, and certainly in terms of the welfare of the players, which is, is hugely important. I think we've just got to seize on moments like this from this weekend. You know, We've seen record-breaking crowds across all the Six Nations games this year, so things are moving in the right direction. And I think there's, there's obviously, like most things in society, there's, there's a real lack of patience. So everybody wants everything now, and, and it's understandable. But the game's growing at a, a massively quick rate. That will be relative to how much investment goes into it. So England are investing strongly into their game over the last few years. France have as well. New Zealand are just doing that now. But you can see the other nations getting behind it now. It's down to them, really, how they invest you know, and because uh, that will drive it and invest right across the game, not just in terms of contracts for players, but support mechanisms, how they market games, how they promote games, you know, the whole pitch. But but days like that, they can only serve to enhance that and drive that forward. So you know, we are moving in the right direction. Is uh, WXV a good idea? Yeah, definitely. One of the, the biggest issues has been, and particularly we really underpinned by COVID as well, was that we only ended up playing European teams. So you get a lot of the same fixtures. So 
the more we can get some of the hemisphere, northern hemisphere sides matching up against each other, the better. And, you know, and hopefully that'll help to, to grow some of the tier two and tier three sides and close that gap there. Because it's not just about closing the gap between England and France and New Zealand and the rest. You need to close a gap further down as well. So you get really compacted games when everybody's playing. Uh, Simon, we have to ask you this question. I mean, I know you, you've only had less than 48 hours to reflect on what was a fantastic occasion and a, another wonderful achievement. But future plans, I mean, other than probably a bit of time off and rest with your family, have you got any future rugby plans in the pipeline or would that have been oh cool he's going to give you a straight bat back to this <laughs> <laughs> yes. Come now. Well, well, of course he is but I mean <laughs> listen I, I know you've coached in the men's game and I know you've coached in the women's game I mean you've still got ambitions of carry you're not suddenly going to stop being a coach are you so it's just, it's just a question of finding the right opportunity yeah, no, you know, to, to be honest, I've, I've got some stuff in the pipeline already. I'll keep it under wraps for now because, you know, it's, as I say, it's a work in progress. But Give us a clue. It, it, Give us a clue. Premiership stuff? No. Okay. No. To be honest, at this point in time, I would not go back into full-time club coaching. Club coaching is brutal. It is absolutely brutal. Five days a week and then your weekends as well. If you want to spend some time with your family, that is not the job to be in. So for that now, no, no, I'm, to be honest, I want to go a little bit further down and I want to see if I can affect the game from further down because I don't think I can do much more from the top but if I can come down and I can support some of the tier two tier three nations do some work with rural rugby to link up and try and drive it from the bottom up and close the gap I'll have a crack at that but I'm keeping a really open mind I always have you know I've never planned too far ahead you're obviously you're almost out the door at the RFU so I think you can probably answer these two but um, who do you think should get your job as head coach and also the obviously the contract you touched on it before they're up for negotiation should the girls be getting paid more than the current 30, 35 grand a year that they're on uh, well you say I'm nearly out the door but I ain't out of it yet so oh, I'm not, gonna ask not, not quite there <laughs> well Simon are you, are you involved in the succession planning I mean Connor obviously is, a, is an overall charge of the RFU but your intellectual property of what's required to do that job is second to none so it would be crazy and almost blind not to have you involved in in that process in some way shape or form well the ram project everest didn't they when they've done a massive project consulting with lots of coaches head coaches across the men's the women's games internationals to see what does a head coach look like wasn't it is, is the ideal makeup for and I, I was part of that so I've, that, that's been my contribution I've, I've fed into Project Everest but in terms of who gets it honestly the answer has to be the right person it doesn't have to be a man it doesn't have to be a woman it has to be the right person for the job well Simon you might think that your time on a rugby pitch is over for the time being at least but we've got one more rugby challenge for you and that's to be tackled by uh, Lawrence uh, no, honestly there's nothing to worry about I can't tackle anywhere near like I used to so there we are <laughs> Tackled. Simon, your full name, please. Simon Middleton. Your favourite takeaway? I think I know the answer to this. Chinese, as it turns yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. Love Chinese. Love noodles. Uh, do you have a nickname that the girls call you? The one that you can actually say on air? Just mids. Everybody calls me mids. <laughs> <laughs> What's the best advice you've been given, either rugby-wise or otherwise? One I definitely can't repeat, but my brother once said to me, simple, work as hard as you can and you'll get what you deserve. And that's what I did. Uh, well, who's the most famous person in your phone book, in your contact book? <laughs> well, I've got you going, but I'm not going to say you going. Oh, no, 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 and I've no, got, no, no, I've got no. Nick Moore. I've got Will Green, but I'm not going to say you. Brian Moore. <laughs> Brian Moore. There we go. Yeah. Brilliant. Who would play you in a film about your life? Sean Bean, because he's the only <laughs> he's the only one with the Yorkshire accent. And Paul Newman, because he's got grey hair. <laughs> I I see, Sean Bean. Yeah, I see the resemblance though with Paul Newman, Simon. I've not seen it before, yeah. but now that you mention it. <laughs> I'll take that. Now, Simon, um, 
Who's the funniest person in the squad? Or who's the funniest person you know? Playing point of view, Bottman, she's absolutely nuts. Coaching yeah. point of view or staff point of view, Scotty Beeman, hilarious. Is he really? Oh, my God. <laughs> He's kept me sane. Brilliant. <laughs> now, listen, um, I'm assuming you may have done a little bit of this uh, after the game, but if Simon has to get up and sing a song, what's your go-to? Yeah, Bottman got me up, first one up, I was on the bus. Obviously, I went for We Are The Champions. Yeah, I'll probably go for that or I'll probably go for Don't Stop Me Now, a bit of Queen. But, yeah. <laughs> what is your... Best rugby moment of all time. And I know you've had you've had many, many, many. Was it just the last weekend? Just had it. Really? Just had it. Oh, yeah. fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Nothing's beat that. That was just incredible. And I know it's right It's right there in his face at the moment, but just being able to get down as well with the kids and get the kids on the field at the end and walk around like that was just, yeah, it's something you'll never do again, I don't think so. Well, listen, Simon, I can't say how, how proud we are to have you on as our guest. Really do appreciate it, taking time to chat to us. And obviously it goes without saying that we wish you all the very best, whatever you end up doing. Congratulations on everything you've achieved on behalf of uh, all Red Roses fans and all rugby fans, actually, full stop. So, uh, really appreciate that. No, mate, that's brilliant. Thank you. That means so much. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Okay, time to talk about the weekend then. Aside from the Grand Slam win for the Red Roses, as we just discussed with Simon, it was all about the European Cups. Glasgow and Toulon beat Scarlets and Benetton Treviso in their respective games to go through to the final of the Challenge Cup. And meanwhile, it was Leinster who outplayed Toulouse in Dublin to take the win, 41 points to 22, and bag their place in the Champions Cup final before La Rochelle ran in seven tries against Exeter Chiefs with a 47-28 victory in Bordeaux, uh, setting up a few final of last year. So Lawrence, despite a strong start from Toulouse, they didn't really deliver the performance that we were expecting or maybe the game we were expecting, did they? No, I think Toulouse probably got a few things wrong. They got their selection wrong on the bench. You know, they went 6-2 splits with the forwards and backs. They had a bit of early disruption in the game. I think on reflection, moving Anton Dupont, the best player in the world, the best number nine in the world, to fly half to, you know, to accommodate the injury they had. I think he can do that against pretty much any side, but not against Leinster. And you immediately took his effectiveness out of the game. And obviously Gibson Park is opposite number one, the player of the match award and I think if I'm honest to lose their indiscipline cost of the match and then if we just flip that over the other way I thought Leinster were magnificent I don't know how much better this side could get 
But every time they play, obviously they're spurred on by the motivation of having lost last season's final. But some of their performances, particularly across the team, Conan, Doris, Gibson Park, I thought they were just magnificent. So normally it's the attack that we talk about with Leinster and their attack is very good. But I thought at the weekend their defence was magnificent. They really stepped that up. And let's be honest, Toulouse are a, a very, very complex, multi-layered attacking side. But they smashed them to pieces, particularly in the breakdown. And the two yellow cards effectively cost Toulouse the game. Leinster really cranked up the points that they achieved. And they were comfortable winners in the end. And they continued to just to get better and better, which is frightening for everyone else. Yeah, it's pretty scary, isn't it? And Steve, much like with Toulouse, it was Exeter who ran in the first try of the game out in Bordeaux against La Rochelle. But the current champs, they quickly responded, didn't they? And the Chiefs soon found themselves with a pretty hefty mountain to climb. They just couldn't seem to get themselves back into the game until it was too late. But that was, I don't know, that was partly down to the French physicality, their offload game, just finding that space on the edges. It's just an all-court game that they have, isn't it? It is unbelievable. I mean, and I think what a final we've got to look forward to now. I mean, on Exeter, I mean, when Sam Simmons scored that try at the beginning, I only thought, could they, could they? But then I think the reality was not really. And I mean, I think from my own point of view, growing up in Devon, seeing the rise of the Chiefs from where they've come from, from the championship to being European champions. I mean, it's an amazing story. One that would make a great movie one day, potentially. I mean, there was only ever two teams that you could play for in Devon, and that was the Chiefs and Plymouth Albion, and the Chiefs just went one way. And now I worry about the future. I mean, I did question Rob Baxter's decision to chuck in a couple of young players in this game, in this environment. I mean, going for Tom Wyatt, it just felt like maybe it was a little bit too early, but clearly now they're the future for Exeter and they're the ones that he's going to have to rely on. But yeah, La Rochelle, an amazing team. And the atmosphere there was just unbelievable, as uh, as Lawrence will probably be testament to, because you were pitch side, obviously, for the game, weren't you? Yeah, it was, it was magnificent. And look, La Rochelle themselves are an amazing story. Not dissimilar to Exeter, really. A few years ago, they were playing way down the leagues in France and they've grown, but so is the city's love affair, the town's love affair with, with their rugby team. I mean, they just possess this incredible power game and it's and it's a fascinating contrast of styles, really, because I'm not suggesting Leinster are powerful, but um, Skelton, Aldrit, Antonio, Mugari, these guys are enormous human beings. And what they also possess now with Ronan O'Gar arriving is someone who has changed them mentally, you know, because Ronan thinks about the game and he understands the psychological impact of playing against different opponents, you know, he prepared that team meticulously. He knew that it was Exeter's last dance, apparently, and that the emotion from them would be there. And he prepared his team meticulously. And I also think that he has brought an added footballing creativity and ability. You know, you look at Kurt Barlow, you know, outstanding yesterday, star of the match. You look at Anton Hastoy, a player that we hardly even talk about. He kicked seven out of eight. I mean, Renegar, I think he's still the highest point scorer. Or no, Johnny Sexton, maybe he's just overtaken him as the highest point scorer in this competition. He knows that you need someone who can kick holes. And in Hastoy, he's got that. So I think he's brought that footballing intelligence, that psychological resilience, because they weren't under pressure in that game, really. And, you know, he will have to change his attention now because in the final, they will be under pressure because Leinster will test them in ways that, that no other team has managed to do. So, yeah, really, really great occasion. And the scary thing for all of the rugby teams is that both Leinster and La Rochelle have got a lot more growth in them. There is improvement for, for both of those sides, and that is fantastic for them, for sure. Who's your money on, Lawrence, to win then? I think Leinster will start as favourites. They've had the dream final, as in they lost last year so to the same opponent, so they're incredibly motivated. 
and uh, in the semi-final the and, year and, before, and, well. and the yeah. semi-final the year before. So they haven't won it for a couple of years. They're desperate to add this fifth star to equal to lose. They are also playing at home. It's their stadium. It's highly unusual. I mean, I got to play both of my European Cup finals at Twickenham, and we were lucky enough to win both of them. Now, if you get to your own ground and your own national stadium and you lose, you've only got yourself to blame, really. <laughs> so, so I do think that they will start as as favourites, but there is no Johnny Sexton, although it didn't seem to matter at the weekend. But you have to respect an opponent like La Rochelle just because of the power that they've got. You know, Botu went off yesterday and they, they seemed unaffected by it. And also, Ronan O'Gara is a cunning little man and he will have a plan up his sleeve to try and disrupt the odds and beat Leinster. But I, I do feel that it's Leinster's uh, final this year. And I am sure we will be talking about that match in the run-up to the game over the next few weeks. Um, for now, though, let's decide on our Player of the Week. Player of the Week with QBE Business Insurance. Be prepared. Steve, you can go first this week. Well, I think it's got to be one of the Red Roses to go for. I mean, there were some exceptional performances. But I'm going to go for Marley Packer, uh, Yeovil's favourite daughter. I just think she is such an inspirational figure. We've had her on the podcast before. She's also extremely funny. And I just think there's no better role model, I think, for the women's game going forward. So, yeah, I'm going to go for Marley. Lol, I'm going to go next. Um, I'm going to go for, you've mentioned him already, Jamison Gibson Park. He was just a spark, I thought, that ignited uh, that Leinster performance. He's so important, isn't he, to the way Leinster plays, the speed in which he he plays and, and that ability he has to identify where space is. And like you said, Leinster exploited Toulouse massively when they were down to 14 men and that game was taken away from them. And I think he played a massive part during that period too. So my vote goes to him. And Lawrence, who are you going Well, for? I think my vote is to pick Simon Middleton, really, because yeah, nice. um, I do think that, uh, you know, it's a changing of the guard, literally. It's a moment in time. I think his contribution across so many years has been so significant that he des- he's been outstanding. So for me, uh, and he's very humble and he doesn't like to blow his own trumpet and we're going to blow his trumpet for him. Well done, Simon Middleton. Outstanding. Absolutely. Okay, well, next week sees the return of the Premiership and the final round of games before the playoffs. I can't believe we're at this stage of the season. It's gone super quick. Uh, we know who's in those top four spots, of course, but there's still some decisions to be made about who will make the final eight and get a place in the Champions Cup next year. So Bath head to Sarries, Bristol play Gloucester, Leicester to welcome Queensland and Irish then host Exeter Chiefs and Newcastle Falcons will visit Sales. So, Lawrence, I guess the big focus will be on that Bristol-Gloucester game. I guess it will be. Um, I think it's really hard to pick. Gloucester have, have sort of been falling off uh, a cliff, really, haven't they? And they can't seem to kind of find their way back. I've got to back Bristol, really, the home team, just because it's the last hurrah, last chance for a few of them. I think when they get their act together, they can get their set piece sorted out. They're a very competent side, Bristol. They're a side that where their league position doesn't really reflect how good they are. So I expect them to win that game. Okay, let's um, do one of the other games um, then as well. Let's do bath Sarries. That's a fascinating one because Bath are in a really good form. They can't stop winning now. Winning has become a habit. There's some uh, some really impressive performances, you know, right across the board. But then again, it's Sarries, and Sarries will want to get that winning momentum back. Uh, they got it last week, and uh, then they've obviously had this week off. So I think it'll be closer than it would normally be. But I would expect Saracens to go full ball because they have to go into the playoffs in good shape. So I'd expect Sarries just to nudge that one. 
Steve, which game are you particularly looking forward to from this last well, round? Um, I'm going to London Irish against Exeter. And I think, yeah, I think uh, that'd be a good game. Selfish reasons, I'm actually kind of glad that Exeter lost because it now means that we'll get to see all those players playing who, in their final game for the yeah, Chiefs before they all depart. So, yeah, um, don't really care what the result is as long as we see an entertaining uh, match, I think. OK, well, there we have it then, Lol. Excellent. I will be in the studio for the very last time, so I'll be across all of the games. Why, well, are you retiring? No, no, you're no, moving. No. <laughs> no, no, I know, no. I know we're moving, oh. Steve. <laughs> the way Lol she's... says, no. like, I'll be there for the very last time. <laughs> she's trying to get rid of me, mate, honestly. <laughs> She's trying to see me off. Sarah, what about you? I am in Bristol next weekend. So I've been I've been quite close to home actually for two weekends. Scarlet's this week and Bristol next week. I've been uh, spoilt over the last uh, fortnight. But yeah, I just can't believe that we've got to this stage of the season already. It's mad. And we, there's still no sun. That's ridiculous. I, I was wearing sandals this time last year. Okay. Ha- of it. Now, since the last pod, how many holidays have you booked? <laughs> <laughs> I booked holiday, yeah. I don't believe that. Now listen, we will be back in a week's time with another special guest and a special review of the last weekend of fixtures in the Gallagher Premiership. So my thanks to Sarah and my thanks to Steve and uh, my thanks to all of you for listening and goodbye. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.